0: So we're in a series called Make, disciples. Make Disciples, and it comes from the Great Commission, and it's Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. Read it good and wait. Actually, I'm gonna remove it. It's been six weeks. You should have it memorized. Ready? Go. Therefore, go and make disciples of all people, baptizing them in the name of the the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey what. Y'all are close. Y'all did the soccer version. That's fine. I can take the soccer version. Y'all are okay in that. Okay. Um, we're going through step-by-step step on how to make disciples or step-by-step step on how to become a disciple of Christ. Okay? Um, the closer we get to being a disciple of Christ, the more it is going to pain our flesh. Here's what I mean by that. It's like a tree. If you got, like, a tree or a bush or something and there's, like, a dead branch on it or it's almost dead or it's just not doing like the rest and you go to prune that branch off, if that tree could talk, it would probably cuss at you. It would be like, bleep, bleep, that hurt, don't do that to me. But you cut that dead branch off, and you think that you're doing it harm, and it thinks, how could you do this to me? A year later, the next season comes around, and now that same branch that once was dead is now has life. It's grown. It was pruned off, and now it's doing what it finally should. It's the same way with our flesh, the closer we get to Jesus. Biblically, the more I preach on this subject, the more you should get offended and not want to hear it. Here's why. When Jesus preached and talked about becoming a disciple of Christ, the closer he got to actually being a disciple of Christ, the more people walked away and didn't want to hear it. If I told you today, hey, Jesus said to sell everything you have and give it to the poor, you would have thought, man, this is the one Sunday I knew I should have slept in. I could have watched T.D. Jakes on TV, didn't have to come to church, because we don't want to hear about stuff like that. So go ahead and prepare your hearts. The more steps we get into making disciples, the more you're going to think, I don't want to hear that. I want to hear something that just, I want to hear some fluff. I want to hear something that's that's easy, something that I don't really have to work at, but I want a lot of reward for it. That's not being a disciple of Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen? Amen. All the men said, Amen. Amen. (laughs) Okay, here we go. So that's my tool time impression. Um, so step seven, here we are. Let's go over our steps first of all. Step one was B.A. Step two was B.N. The first time you preach the gospel, step three, it should be through the eyes of love. And step four, Christianity is the logical choice. Step five, are you really? Step six, choose the right church. And now we are at step seven. Step seven see how good y'all, y'all are so... Y'all, I just... Y'all are just amazing. I love y'all so much. Okay, here we go. So step seven is bring God your heart. Bring God your heart. I intentionally use the word bring, and I intentionally use the word heart. Everything in life comes out of our heart. The most important thing that we have is our heart and what's going on inside of our heart. Um, I've preached 500 sermons in my life, and if I could only choose one sermon for all five of my children to apply to their life, it would be today's sermon. When they leave my house at 18 or whatever, they go to college, do their thing. If they never talk to me again, if they move to Russia, Asia, Alaska, and I never heard from them, I would be a successful, happy, wonderful feeling dad if the only thing my children ever learned from me was today's sermon. That's it. It's because our heart is so incredibly important. And we can be deceived and think that we love God, but our heart really doesn't show it. Let me ask you this. Has anybody ever come to you or told you in life, I love you? I love you, I love you, my heart belongs to you, I love you. But in actuality, they really love themselves more. They abused you, they talked down to you, they emotionally scarred you, they used you. And the whole time they're saying, I love you. Has anybody ever done that to you? Raise your hand. Anybody ever done that? Okay. If people can be deceived and say they love you, but it's obvious their actions don't show it, you and I, we are not better than those people. We can be deceived, and we can say, God, I love you, but our actions may not show that we really love him. The Bible says in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, 37, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Proverbs 4, 23, guard your heart, because out of it flows the issues of life. Romans 10, 9, believe in your heart. And you will be saved. Now listen, everything's a heart issue. Say that. Say, everything's a heart issue. Everything Everything you go through. It's not your boss's fault, your wife, your spouse. It's your heart. I'm this and that. It's your heart. What they did this to me, it's your heart. Everything in life is a heart issue. So, when we say Jesus... I love you and my heart belongs to you and there's a throne in my heart and I want you to sit on this throne and you're the Lord of my life. If you say and you think you're a disciple of Jesus Christ and you really love him, there are two ways in the Bible that we can see if we are being deceived or if our heart really belongs to God. Because we can say, I love you, but we can actually be proven biblically that your heart really doesn't belong to God. The two ways to test biblically If your heart really belongs to God, all through the Bible is two ways. Here we go. Your money and your mouth. Your wallet and your worship. Your tithe and your tongue. All through the Bible, the two ways that biblically show us if our heart really belongs to God is where we spend our money and what comes out of our mouth. So point number one, two points for today. Point number one is this, wallet tithe, money, Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure or your riches or your wealth is, there your heart will be also. If you want to locate, let's say you put 50 pounds of weight on each one of these points, 50 pounds of weight on money, 50 pounds of weight on your mouth. If you want to see where 50 pounds of your life, 50% of your heart is, if you want to see where your heart is, just look at your bank statement when it comes in at the end of the month. If you were to look on my bank statement, you will see Arby's, Burger King, Taco Bell, McDonald's, Chick-fil-A, Subway, Mr. Sub, Firehouse, Krispy Kreme. I use cash there. But anyway, you will see my bank account, K&W, W, K and w w McDonald's, K&W. You will see that on my bank account. However... The first 10% of my income, I get paid monthly, $400 a month goes right to the local church. Not because I'm holy, not because I'm a great pastor, but because I want to make sure that my heart always stays in the local church. There are so many people that claim they love God and they have complaints about the local church, and now they offended me and I don't like organized religion and da 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 And it's because their finances were never there, therefore their heart was never there. And I don't care if any of you tithe or not. That's not what this is about. I'm not proving to you all the things in the Bible about tithing. If I was, I'd do a series on it. I'm just telling you about a disciple of Christ has their money in the kingdom of God. Now, here's the good news about this scripture. If your heart is not in the kingdom of God today, if your heart is in drugs, alcohol, pornography, some kind of addiction, and you want so bad to put your heart in the kingdom of God, here's what you do. Your first part of your income goes in the kingdom of God, and your heart will follow it. If you don't believe that your heart follows your money, just buy some stocks. And the first thing you do in the morning when you get up will not be open your Bible, you good little Christian. Your first thing you do will be to look at the stock market and see if your money's gone up or if it's gone down. What do you think about more, honestly? Be honest with me. Don't lie. Be honest. What do you think about more, God or money? What do you think about more? bills, I got to pay this, I want to afford this, if I could just have this, I got to the better, or God, you're so good, I love you so much, thank you so much for everything you've done for me, you're such a great God in my life, you're so powerful, awesome, which one do you think about more? If there's a chance you think about money more, then there's also a chance that your heart really belongs somewhere where you don't want it to belong. Um, Our heart always follows our finances. The reason I want my children to always be faithful tithers is because I know that the church of Jesus Christ is fallible. I know that we are filled with people that have different personalities and we can get offended and somebody can hurt us and I want to make sure my children always have their heart in a local church. They may live on the other side of the world, but if I know that the first 10% of their income is in their local church, then I also know their heart will always stay there. No matter what the preacher preaches on, no matter how much someone offends them or doesn't offend them, their heart will always be where their treasure is. Malachi 3.6 says bring your full Tithe whole 10% of your income into the temple that there may be food in my house. Test me, says God. I'll open up the windows of heaven. I'll pour out on you a new blessing. I'll do all these great things, rebuke the devourer, on and on it goes. Why do you think that God attached the greatest reward to us on earth outside of salvation, which is the number one greatest reward, which is a free gift, outside of that? The greatest reward in the Bible is promised to somebody who brings the first 10% of their income to the local church. Why would God attach the greatest reward to a tither? Here's why. Because it's the greatest battle you will ever face on earth is to love God or love money. The greatest battle you will ever face on planet earth is the money battle, the money test. It's all through the Bible. Um, Tithing was before the law, after the law. Jesus said to tithe in Matthew 23, 23. I want to make sure my children and those closest to me, again, I don't care all of y'all, I don't care what you do with your money. I don't care. But if you're real close to me, I mean real close to me, you better be a tither. The reason is because is I know if you're a tither, your heart will always stay in the local church. And if not, here we'll get close, we'll become friends, we'll have intimate relationship, we'll be discipling each other, we'll love each other, and then somebody's going to do you wrong. And because your finances were never there, you're going to end up leaving and going somewhere else. If you don't believe money's a difficult test, look at this. Jesus preached about money more than he did any other subject. Now, I'm going to say something that I hope appalls you. I want this to disgust you, okay? I want to make sure you remember this statement and that you are so disgusted with it that you throw up and then swallow it back down in your mouth. Okay, here we go. If Jesus had a church here in Myrtle Beach, I would have more people at my church than he would have at his church. Do you know Why? Because believers claim to be disciples of Christ, but every time Jesus presented the hard truth, people walked away and got upset and they wanted to hear something that tickled their ears. And it's sad. Well, oh, Jesus, oh, if Jesus had a church in Myrtle Beach, I'd be there. No, you wouldn't. After you kept hearing about money in hell and money in hell and money in hell, you'd say, I'm going to go to another church where they preach on everybody be happy. I mean, you need to find something that makes you excited about it. Jesus preached on money and hell more than anything else because he knew money was a difficult test and hell was where he didn't want anybody to go. The Bible has 400 verses on faith, 500 on prayer, and 2,000 on money. Out of the 2,000, 1,961 of them have to do what a battle money is for our heart, how money wants to take our heart away from God. The number one reason for strife in marriage, stress in most people, and war all since humanity begun is money. Jesus was betrayed. A disciple of Jesus Christ betrayed him for money. Now, I know that none of you disciples would ever put money before God, but it happened before, and it can happen again. Most people think about money more than they think about God. Um, most of my life, since I was even a, maybe 18 years old, I made about 1000 a week, $52,000 a year. I think I make less than that now, everything combined. But that's been about my average income for my life. So my children... Because um, I was a, a music person before a pastor and stuff. But my children have always known what it's like to always have a house roof over their head. Uh, uh, we've always had a car to drive. Never had to worry about, you know, food or anything like that. We never went on vacation. We, actually, one time somebody paid for our family to go to Disney World. And the whole time we're there, my kids are saying, please, let's go back to the hotel and swim. They said the whole time. I'm like, we have a pool in our neighborhood back home. The whole time we're at Disney World, and we're with the family that paid for us to go. The whole time, they're saying, we want to go back to the hotel. hotel." I was like, we're in Disney World. We're in Disney World. So anyway, that's been our life. But my kids know what it's like to kind of have availability. They know what it's like. If they want to go to college, we'll find a way. They know what it's like to work hard, to save wisely, spend wisely, and to give generously. They know what that's like. So my children, all five of them, will be rich when they get older. They will make more money than their dad, most likely. Um, in America, if you make more than 12,000 a year, you're considered rich. Under 12,000, you're considered poor. That's 1,000 a month if you're poor. So my children have money. The reason that I'm telling you that is because in Mark 10:23, Jesus told his disciples, "It's harder for rich people to get into heaven than it is poor people. Here's why. Not because money's a bad thing. If money was bad, God would not have given Solomon millions and millions and millions of dollars. It's okay to have money. It's not okay for money to have you. And the more of something you have, and if it's the greatest battle we'll ever face, then the more it's going to be difficult for you to honor God financially. We all think this. If I had more money, I'd give the church more money. That's not true. In fact, all through America, the whole nation, people that make the most money give the less uh, percentage toward the local church very interesting here's why it's a hard test it's a battle for our heart money wants to be our God if you don't think money wants to be your God let's list some things that money says but God only provides money says I'll bring you peace God says peace comes from the Holy Spirit money says I'll give you happiness Bible says the joy of the Lord is your strength money says I'll give you influence God says promotion does not come from the north, south, east, and west but it comes from God Money says, I'll give you sleep at night. God says, rest in me. I'll give you a peace that passes all understanding. Money says, I'm your source. Seek after me. Think about me. Save me. Want me. God says, I'm your source. Think about me. Spend time with me. I want to be there for you. Isn't it interesting? Money, out of everything in the Bible that could be mentioned in Luke 16, 12, Jesus said, you cannot serve God and money. That's the one thing he said. So whether you tithe or not, I don't care. But I'm just telling you, I would be really, really scared to get to heaven and discover my whole life on earth. I said I loved Jesus, but in reality, I loved money more. Number one was money, wallet, tithe. Number two was this, worship, words, your mouth. Matthew 12, 34, your mouth speaks showing what your heart is full of. It's the other 50 pounds of weight, money and mouth. Um, I could easily take about, you know, three or four hours, and read you every scripture in the Bible and praising and worshiping God. But instead, I'm going to spend the next ten minutes and show you how much Satan wants to be worshiped and does not want you worshiping God. Let me show you that. I think that would have more influence in your life. So, Matthew 4:8, the devil took Jesus to the mountaintop. Everybody say the mountaintop. It's very important that you see Satan didn't take him to the bottom. Satan wanted to be on the top. And he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Satan didn't just say worship me. He said this, I want you to express it. I want you to do it with your body. I want you to use your hands, your legs. your body. I want you to worship me and I want to see you worship me. Isaiah 14, 11, talking about Lucifer said, you used to give honor with harps and veals. Everybody say stringed instruments. You're going to need to know that in about five minutes. So write it down. Stringed instruments. But now you are in hell because you said in your heart. Here's the things he said. Ready? I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars. I will sit enthroned on the top of the mountain, the mount. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. I want to be God in my life. I want to be worshipped. I want the money. I want the praise. I want the glory. It's all about me, 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 me. The most important person in your life before you got saved was you. In fact, it might be the most important person in your life now. Maybe next time you look at a group picture and somebody says, what do you think? The only person you're looking at is you. You don't care what anybody else looks at. You're like, as long as I look good, we can post that picture. The most important person in our life before we got saved was us. Now, I want you to see something very interesting about the scripture. It says that he used to give honor with harps and veals, with stringed, instruments. Um, that was Lucifer's job in heaven was to worship God and get all worship and praise going toward God. Okay? Let me show you another scripture. Ezekiel twenty eight thirteen. Lucifer, every precious stone was your covering. The ruby, topaz, beryl, diamond, onyx, jasper, turquoise, emerald, and gold. Why did God create a being to worship him and then adorn that being with every precious stone? It's because the job of the precious stone was to reflect all light from himself unto God. Every time someone worshipped, it was supposed to bounce off of him and go straight to God. Every one time someone said hallelujah, it was supposed to come off of him and unto God. He was the worship leader in heaven. And it says, the worksmanship of thy timbering and windpipes. Everybody say, uh, say percussion and wind. You're going to need to know that. You're going to need to know strings, percussion, and wind in about four minutes, okay? Was prepared in thee, in thee. They didn't give him a tambourine. It was inside of his being the day you were created. You were the anointed cherub until sin was found in you by the abundance of your commerce or merchandising. Man, the second Lucifer thought, I want some of that, just like that, he was down in hell. Just like that, the Bible says, like lightning. That word merchandising or abundance of commerce, here's what that means. If I owned a shirt store and I had an employee at the register and someone comes in and they want to buy a shirt and the shirt is $100 but my employee says it's $200. They pay the $200. The employee puts $100 in the register and another 100 in his pocket. That's merchandising. The money was supposed to pass through the employee's hands and be given to the one who it belonged to. You know, all through the Bible, when you see the word tithe, all through the Bible, the word is bring. It's never give. Never, ever, ever give in the Bible when it comes to tithe because the tithe already belongs to God. It's holy. It's like if I let somebody use my car over the weekend, and then afterwards they come back and they say, you know, John Paul, God really placed it on my heart to give you this car. I'd say, buddy, that's my car. You can bring it back to me. I entrusted you with it, and because you're bringing it back, I'll let you do it again. But if you think you you can't give me something that's already mine, you bring the tithe. And so all this worship and praise, it was supposed to come off of Lucifer and bounce and say, one day he thought, you know what? I want some of that for me. And the moment he had that thought in his heart, like lightning, he fell out of heaven and into hell. Here's what I want you to see. All through the Bible, there are three archangels mentioned Gabriel, Michael and Lucifer all through the Bible in every church service there are three components, there's the word there's prayer and there's worship all through the Bible every time you see Gabriel he's announcing the word of the Lord Zechariah to Mary here's what God says every time you see Michael, he's bringing an answer to prayer. Remember in Daniel chapter 10, Daniel prayed for 21 days. Michael showed up and said, I fought through the forces of darkness to bring you the answer to this prayer request. And Lucifer used to be the worship leader. Past tense, he was in charge of worshiping God and everybody else was supposed to worship God with him. Billions of years ago, beginning of time when God created the heavens and the earth, earth was form without form. It was void. Darkness was everywhere. 6,000 years ago or so, God began to form the earth and create it. And I can picture he's creating the animals and the trees and the oceans and separating the waters. And then one day, God's walking around and this snake comes slithering by, this Lucifer, and he says, Who's going to worship you now? Who's going to give you glory now? Who's going to put you first in their life now? Who's going to honor you and praise you now? And God says, you want to see my new worship leader? And he bends down and he picks up a pile of dirt. And he blows into it. And he says, not only is this guy going to worship me, he's going to crush your head one day too, Satan. Do you know that we already read that in Satan's being? There were three instruments. There was string, wind, and percussion. But he's not the worship leader anymore. Who's going to worship God now? Do you know that inside your being, God has put string instruments in you? We call them vocal cords. Do you know God put wind instruments in you? We call them lungs. And do you know that God has given you percussion instruments? We call them the clapping of hands. And you might not have known this, but you were created to worship God. And for the rest of my life, if the only thing my children ever do is bring their tithe to church and worship God freely, I'll be the happiest father in the world. Um, years ago, I was discipling this guy. He started off as an alcoholic, drunk every day of his life. Started coming to church, and um, he was a real stickler for truth. One of the just, we present the word to him, and he took it as truth every time. He broke God broke that habit off of his life, the bad habit of, of alcohol. He became a faithful tither. He got a great job. He studied the word. He was in every every time there was a short group. Every time there was a Bible study, he was there. But the only thing he didn't do was when it came time for worship, he just stood there. He sang a little bit, but just just stood there. There was no clapping. There was no lifting of hands. And one day I went to him. I said, man, I said, how come you never really worship God? How come you don't, you know, show your worship? He said this. He said, it's not my personality. So I didn't say anything. A few weeks went by. I went to his house to either pick up something or deliver something, something like that. He invited me inside, and we sat there on the couch, and he was watching TV. You're not going to believe this. But as we were watching TV, this 300-pound man began carrying a pigskin apparatus across a grassy field with other 300-pound men trying to grab him. And there was chalk lines all over the grass and there was a crowd watching. And lo and behold, right before my eyes, my friend's personality forever changed. He jumped up off the couch and started lifting his hands and screaming and shouting and clapping and saying, go. And I started doing it. I was like, yes, yes. And he said, do you like this team? I said, no, but your personality just changed and I'm so excited. Thank you, Jesus. And God is my witness. From that day forward, every single Sunday in church, before the music would even start, he'd already have his hands lifted. We didn't have to say stand up. He was standing up. When the countdown was, he was already standing up. When worship was over, he wasn't finished. He still stood there just a little bit longer, and gave God a little bit more. He couldn't wait for altar call time. His life was forever changed. Now he's actually one of the pastors on staff at one of the largest churches in all of Myrtle Beach. But all this, I believe, happened When he got his heart in the kingdom of God. When you're in love, you will express it. Not just, I love you, you'll express it. I want to give you one more analogy before I let you go. I brought with me today a chicken wing. It's so funny that y'all laugh. You have no idea what I'm going to do, and you're already laughing. This is how we treat God. We say, God, thank you for what you've done for me. Now first I gotta pay my mortgage. Then I gotta pay my car payment. I gotta pay insurance. I gotta spend time with my friends. I gotta watch football on Sunday. I gotta do some stuff with my kids. i got to get that life insurance policy renewed. I am going to go to the movies a few times. i got to watch TV tonight. God, I do love you, but after I make sure my dogs get groomed, then, God, this is for you. You know how crazy that is? Let me tell you what's crazier is that we think God's in heaven doing this. Oh, thank you so much. You left some meat on it for me. You're such an angel. You're such a good Christian. I can't wait to bless you. If you can't worship God for what he's done for you, at least worship him for who he is. You think he deserves your leftovers? That's the God you serve? A God that gets leftovers? That's the kind of God that saved us, delivered us, set us free? Gets leftovers? Deuteronomy eight twelve. When you've eaten and you're full, when you have built good houses to live in and your flocks multiply, More and more money come in. Your silver and gold and stocks and 401k have multiplied. Your possessions increase. Be sure not to forget the Lord who rescued your sorry sockisty butt, who led you out of bondage and fed you Chick-fil-A. Beware not to say in your heart, I'm rich. My power got me this strength and wealth. Remember the Lord your God gives you The power to become rich and get wealth. And if you forget to worship the Lord, you, my friend, you will be destroyed. What is Satan doing right now? He's doing everything he can to stop you from worshiping God with your money and with your mouth. Amen.